Good morning, Fairhill Church. All right, we are continuing in the book of Jonah, as we, as we can see. Uh, and we have been talking about the absurdity of this book, the absurdity of Jonah, this prophet. So, so far in this story, we have seen Jonah hate God's grace, run from God, and kind of commit spiritual suicide by casting himself into the sea. All right, that's not a good go of it so far for Jonah. And so the Lord continues to pursue him. Last week we talked about uh, God pursuing Jonah in the midst of the storm. Pursuing Jonah in the midst of the storm. Kind of putting Jonah's sin right before his eyes and giving him the chance to repent. But unfortunately Jonah did not repent. He did not turn from running from God. And instead he decides that, no, rather than accepting God's forgiveness or crying out to God, he would rather be cast into the sea. He would rather be destroyed than go back to God's mercy and to his forgiveness. And that brings us to Jonah in the sea today. We are finally to that part of the story, the most memorable part of the story, where Jonah actually encounters this giant fish, where Jonah encounters the whale. And that whale for us is going to be a symbol of the grace of God. That God pursues us, even in the midst of our running from God, our rebellion from God, to the extent that Jonah didn't even want to be saved. And yet God pursues him to the very end. And that whale is going to point forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. That God pursues us in his grace relentlessly with an absurd, powerful, amazing grace as we have sung about this morning. And so today we're going to be talking about this, this story, this memorable story, focusing on the grace of God. In three aspects, we're going to talk about kind of the absurdity of that grace. We're going to talk about the, the response that we should have to that grace. And then finally, we're going to say what we're called to in light of that grace. All right. So the absurdity, the response, and the calling. So turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to look at the last verse of that all the way through Jonah chapter 2. Okay. So Jonah chapter 1, starting at verse 17. So Jonah had just been thrown into the sea. Verse 17. And the Lord anointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet shall I again look upon the holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols 
forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. All right, let's pray. Father, I ask that you might use your word this morning to bring us into a greater understanding of the grace that you have for us in Christ. Father, would we be uh, uh, awe-inspired once again by your grace, by what you did in the life of Jonah and what you're doing in our lives through Christ. Father, we thank you that you are the gracious God that you are. May we live in light of it, living by your grace alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we start by looking at the absurd grace that God showed to Jonah. And there's two aspects by which this is absurd grace. First of all, it's absurd because it's absurd that God would show grace to Jonah at all, that he would save him in the first place. Because so far, what has happened? Jonah, because he hated God's grace for other people, decided to flee from God, to totally cut him out, to choose death away from God as opposed to life with him. And so he finds himself in the midst of the storm. The storm is his chance for repentance, to confess his sins, to turn back to God, but instead he refuses. And he decides, no, rather than taking the mercy and the forgiveness of God, you know, I'm just going to take the punishment. I would rather be punished for my sins. And so he tells the sailors, you just, just, just throw me overboard. And when Jonah hits the water, he is, he is dead. He's, he's dead. Well, metaphorically, well done. <laughs> for, so for an Israelite, Israelites, they're not great swimmers. This is not their expertise. He is as good as dead. The metaphorical aspect of death. And so, that could have been where the story ended. This could have been the story of Jonah the prophet who ran away from God and as a result was drowned in the Mediterranean Sea. That could have been the story of Jonah and that story would have been about the justice of God. God would have been totally justified and, and Jonah would have gotten what he deserved. But instead, this story is about the grace of God. That God continues to pursue Jonah in spite of his sin. In spite of his continued rebellion. That this one true God is going to love Jonah in spite of himself. He saves, God. He saves Jonah anyway. That's the point. And I want us to see this because that is the, where each and every one of us has been and was, and oftentimes is, that we do not want the grace of God. We do not want the love of God. We don't want anything to do with God. Now that is how every person is born. They have no natural inclination to God. They're, they're naturally opposed to him, even to his grace and to his love. And thankfully, God continues to pursue us in spite of that. But the reality is that we would be all too content sleeping at the bottom of the boat. Or we'd be content actually drowning in the sea 
kind of cursing God even to our death. Oftentimes we're content with having pity parties before God. Complaining to him about the judgment that he has given us, but being unwilling to receive his mercy and his love. That is how we're all naturally inclined. And so every time God pursues us, he is always pursuing us, in a sense, against our will. He loves us and he pursues us more than we would ever expect him to. And to communicate that that, that is the love and grace that God has, God chooses to show his grace in the most unlikely, absurd, amazing way. He decides to send the fish. Verse 17. And the Lord anointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. All right, so imagine, imagine this. Kids, can you imagine this? Imagine that you're, you're being tossed in the waves. You're thrown into the sea, and you think you're a goner. There's no hope for you. You can't, you can't survive this. And then you turn, and you see the giant gaping mouth of the fish before you. And what do you think at that point? You probably think, well, now I'm a goner. <laughs> but it wasn't bad before. It's even worse now. Not only am I going to drown, but no, I'm going to be eaten alive. I'm sure that's what Jonah was thinking. That, oh man, I was punished by the storm, and now I'm going to be punished by this giant fish. And so he, he closes his eyes, and he gets eaten up. But he wakes up and actually sees that he's, he is alive in the midst of the fish. There he is, alive. That God sent salvation to him by making him be eaten alive. Right, that, is, that is the absurd grace of God. It's ridiculous. And it's supposed to be ridiculous in a sense. That Jonah, verse, the second half of verse 17, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right, so this is where the, the questions all come. Well, how could this have happened? How could Jonah have been in the belly of a fish for three days? And there's a couple ways that people take this. There's those who just say that that is impossible and it didn't happen. That it's a myth. It's a good story, but just a good story. Now, those are the kind of people who, who don't like a miraculous God. Because it kind of scares them. And you don't know what to do with him. And it's, it's embarrassing, in a sense, to believe in a God of miracles. Then there's the other group who, who staunchly believes, no, this, this happened. But they go about it by the scientific explanation. All right, so they, they calculate out, well, what is the digestion rate of a blue whale? And, and could a, could a middle-aged Israelite man survive for three days and three nights with proper nutrients and sustenance? And that's how they explain it. Okay, no, no, this could happen. And it saves them the embarrassment of having to believe in the miraculous. But I think that both cases, we're, we're missing out on what God has for us. That the point is that this is absurd. And it's absurd because God's grace is absurd. And God is doing the miraculous. The point is that, as the kids understand, that you, you kind of just stand there in awe, wondering at, like, 
that's how God chose to save Jonah? It sounds like death, first of all, and it's just so unlikely. It's crazy. That's the point. And the point is that it is supposed to be miraculous because we have a miraculous God. And we're not embarrassed of that. I think we take, we take pride in that. That is our hope, that we have a miraculous God. And we have hope in that because it's not about Jonah and the fish. Jonah in the fish is supposed to point forward to another true miraculous resurrection story, the cross of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And there's no way of using science to explain the resurrection. No, it was the miraculous resurrection, the amazing resurrection of Jesus Christ. That that is how God decided to save us. And we get that because Jesus actually explains the story of Jonah like that. So a bunch of scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, well, prove that you are God. Prove that you are the Messiah who is coming. And in, in chapter 12, he tells them, he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That this true, miraculous, absurd event of the whale, the big fish, is supposed to point forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus would be in the, in the heart, the belly of the earth for three days and three nights that he would be dead, that he would be in the grave, and then he'd be miraculously resurrected to new life. Now, what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean for you and me? Well, I'm going to say that most of you have not been saved by being eaten and vomited up by a giant fish. Yes? Am I safe in, in assuming that? And that will probably not happen to many of you. Greg, you're probably the most likely for that to happen to, but still, still, it's not that likely. All right, so what are we supposed to do with this? Is this just a story that, that isn't ours? We can say, oh, that, that's how God saved Jonah, but I just have a more boring story. No, that's not the point. The point is that your story becomes Jesus' story. That Jesus' story is yours. So your resurrection story is the fact that you are crucified on the cross and you were raised with Jesus Christ. That's actually what baptism is. You know, you, most of you have been baptized. That's representing the fact that we died with Christ and we are raised up to new life. That is our story. That is our miraculous, absurd story that we were dead and now we are alive. That is our story. And it's an absurd story, in a sense, that, that God would kill his only son so that we could live. That by dying on the cross with Christ, we'd be resurrected to do life. That's an absurd way of doing it, but it's also absurd that God would save us at all. Just like it's absurd that God decided to save Jonah, it's absurd that God decided to save us. 
because did we deserve it? No. No, we, we spit in God's face and we, we run from him and we enjoy the freedom of being away from God. And so he has to pursue us. He has to actually coax our hearts to embrace him, that we would pursue life. Because in our sin, we would not. We would actually destroy ourselves and do it with a smile on our faces. Thankfully, God does not let that happen. He pursues us in grace, just like he pursued Jonah in the whale. All right. So that's, that's kind of the, the big story. But I also want us to see that there, there are little stories in the midst of our daily life as well. That there are going to be deaths and resurrections as part of the Christian life. That God is going to use miraculous, crazy, absurd means to, to build life in us through Christ. And so if, if you feel like you are cast in the midst of the storm, you can't imagine how God could possibly save you, we need to remember the story of Jonah and that that is the story of Christ. That Christ saves and Christ resurrects when we have no idea where it's going to come from. That out of nowhere the fish comes, that God's grace comes. And when we're sitting in the belly of the whale, feeling like God cursed me once and he cursed me again, that he judged me in the storm and he judged me in the fish, we see that, no, that, that, is, that is God using this unlikely, crazy thing that looks like death to bring about life and resurrection. And so that ought to give us great hope in the midst of what, whatever storm you are in, finding yourself in. That maybe God is using your marital strife or your struggles with your coworkers, your struggles to raise your kids, your money problems, that he's using those things to actually bring about resurrection and new life. Maybe he's using your own sin to bring you into greater life with Christ. God can use anything. He used a big giant fish. He can use anything. That is the grace of God. That is the power of God. That is our miraculous God who loves us and pursues us. Now that, that's a difficult reality, but that is what we trust. And I'm sure Jonah could not see it in the moment. I'm sure he couldn't see it in the moment. Which brings us to our, to our second point. How do we respond to that absurd grace of God? How do we respond? Well, we, we see how Jonah responds. It takes Jonah a little while. So he's there for three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Just kind of chilling. And we wonder, well, why, why does he have to stay there so long? It seems like he has to stay there because... He hasn't come to a, a, the right understanding of what just happened to him. He hasn't learned to tell the story right. And until he learns to respond to God's grace in the right way, God's going to keep him in the belly of the whale. But thankfully, Jonah does get there. He gets to God's grace, and he's able to tell the story differently. So look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed me forever. Yet you brought me up out from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now what is Jonah doing here? Jonah's retelling his story. This is his testimony, in a sense. And what does this testimony include? It includes the fact that he was dead. He was dead. The, the bars of the earth were, were closing in on him. That the waves were overwhelming him. And he called out to the Lord, and the Lord saved him. That is his testimony. That is him seeing, for the first time, what God was actually doing in the midst of this story. That God was pursuing him the whole time. And it's important that we tell the story, and it's important that we tell it right. Because Jonah could have told the story differently. What could have Jonah's story sounded like? Well, God gave me this terrible calling, which was probably going to get me killed. And I tried to escape, but no, God just sent a storm. He almost drowned me. And then he just, get this, he, he made a giant fish eat me. And here I am three days later, and I'm still in this fish, and I'm probably going to be here for the rest of my life. That's it's not an untrue telling of the story. It's leaving out some bits. But it makes us think, how, how do we tell the story? How do we tell our stories? Jonah, for the first time here, is, is telling the story as God would see it. From God's perspective, he's finally seeing God for what he actually is. He's seeing the, the God of salvation. Now, he's leaving some bits out as well. He, he leaves out some parts about the whole sin and rebellion and running away from God stuff. He conveniently leaves that part out. And he, he amps up the whole, I cried out to God. And okay, well, well done, Jonah. You're, you're quite the hero in this story. He tells the story, but he gets, he gets some, the essential facts right that he was dead and he was made alive by God. He was dead and now he is made alive. And he seems kind of appreciative about that. He likes the fact that he received God's grace, that he's no longer dead in the water. That forces us to ask, how do we tell our story? How do we tell our story? Is the, our story holistically a list of all the things that, that God has made us suffer? Is our story largely all the bad things that have happened in our lives? We could tell that story. I'm sure all of you can tell that story. But that's not the true story. If you are in Christ, your story is the story of a death and a resurrection. It is the story that, that God is always there to save. That even in the most difficult circumstances, he's using even those to save you. That should be how we tell our, our, our 
grand story, and that should be how we tell the little stories, the little sufferings as well. Recognizing that, that God is using everything for a salvation to show his grace. That maybe he hasn't used it yet. Maybe we haven't quite gotten to the salvation part of the story, but we know that we're going to get there. We tell the story with that trajectory. That I know that it's hard now, but it, it will get better because I know that I'm in Christ. And I know the power of God and I know that what he will do. That's how we respond to the grace of God. We retell the story. We, we change how we think about the circumstances in light of God's grace. All right, so uh, personal example, personal example. All right, now you know that I went for licensure. Yes, I know, I know. And I failed the book of church order part of it. I know, the book of church order, really? Okay. <laughs> and what I could have seen that, I, and I did see that at the time, as just a failure. As a failure of, of my intellect, of my, I didn't work hard enough, something like that. And then you recontextualize. You tell the story in light of grace. And then you come to see that, no, I... I've been humbled and seen that my worth is not in my intellect or in, in what knowledge I bring to the table. It's found in Christ. Christ alone. And that I, I have a better understanding of Christ as a result. Those are the kind of things, they're, they're the resurrections out of these maybe seemingly trivial deaths. But these are the things that God is using and when we retell the story, we can't help but worship. And we can't help but say, oh, amazingly, God was actually loving me in the midst of that, not destroying me. That it felt like I was getting eaten alive, but I was being saved. We need to learn to retell the stories in light of God's grace. And as a result, we're going we're gonna to sound a lot like Jonah verses 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, this is an amazing place for Jonah to be. I think we think of, we think of the whale as like, like there's a little house inside of the whale. And it's probably like really well lit and like spacious. And you can like see everything that's going on. Like there's no windows in a whale. Like it's probably like, can you imagine how miserable that must have been? And yet he was seeing that as his salvation. It wasn't because it, it looked really good. It looked pretty bleak. But he was able to see. And it wasn't just that he was saved out of, I don't know, drowning. No, at this point, Jonah's able to see, no, it's, I see who God is. I see the steadfast love of God that no idol could compare to. That nothing else I run to can offer me this. That God is the God of salvation. And oddly enough, it's only in the whale that he's able to see that. 
And even later in the book, when he gets out of the whale, he has a horrible time at that. And that's where, oddly enough, Jonah was fleeing from the presence of God. We said that throughout the story. He's fleeing from the presence of God. And God meets him most acutely, most specifically, inside the belly of the whale. That's where he meets him. The Psalms talk of the fact that, that God pursues us into the depths. This is God with him in the whale. With him in the very heart of the sea, as far away from God as you could possibly get. That's where we need to get in God's grace. That we need to see it and needs to shift so that we can praise him, see him for his love, rejoice in him. That's actually living in light of the grace of God, that it would change how we view and retell our lives. So, we have found that miraculous salvation in Christ. We have found that in Jesus. And that you can pray this every day of your life if you are in Christ. That this is true of every second and every moment. That in Jesus, you have been risen up from the pit, from the depths, from from your watery grave that God has resurrected you in Christ. That should give us great joy and great worship. But, I'm going to say it, it doesn't stop there. And I think we holistically, in our circles, we like to stop there. That like, we got to the like rejoicing in God's grace, that we got to the part where we praise him, and we think that that's, no, that's the end. No, that's not the end. Having been resurrected, verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The calling of God still stands. That God in his grace, the calling hasn't changed. Jonah has changed. Jonah responds to his calling differently, but the grace didn't, didn't nullify the calling. Grace isn't a cop-out for the calling. Grace is the power to do the calling that he had before. That grace is now his, his new motivation, that he is a new person resurrected now that he has personally understood the grace of God. And that's where we transition. We transition from being disobedient and needing God's grace to living out of God's grace in obedience. Now, how does that happen? Maybe, maybe Jonah could see God differently. That he could see God as the God of salvation and wouldn't, that following this God, obeying his calling, probably wouldn't mean his destruction. And if it meant his destruction, it, he'd been through death before, it was no big deal at that point. That he believed in a God who could save him. Maybe because he knows God's grace, he, he knew that, that God is full of love and that there's life in God and that obeying him isn't going to mean his destruction. It's going to be life in the presence of God. And that in, in sin, God didn't abandon him. Surely in obedience, God would be with him all the more. Grace is supposed to change how we view our obedience and it's supposed to push us towards obedience. 
to remind us of the joy of obedience, that that is actually part of God's grace. One of God's gifts to you is obedience. Because you're better off with it. You're better off with obedience. He's kind to help us out with that. And who are we in the story? Who are we in the story? The Ninevites. the Ninevites. We are the Ninevites. What if God didn't care about whether Jonah was obedient or not? Then Jonah could have abandoned his call, which meant it would have meant the destruction of the Ninevites. God cares about this obedience stuff. It changes things. And the people who are us in the story, the Ninevites, they would have been doomed if Jonah had just simply abandoned his calling, embraced the grace of God, and then gone the other way. Now, that is the incredibly humbling call to us, but it's a reminder that Jesus was obedient. Jesus was obedient to the cross, to the resurrection, and to, to preach that to each and every one of us. That if you know Christ, it's because Jesus preached that to you. He changed your heart. He enabled you to come to him. That Jesus is faithful in that. And we are called to, to worship God through obedience. Now, that's not something you often hear around reform circles. But the thing is that that, that is a joy. And it's a blessing to be in the presence of God and to be unhindered by, by willful sin. And so I, I would tell us to, to do these three things. To find the absurd grace of God in Jesus Christ. And if it's not absurd, if it's not shocking, then you haven't found it yet. If it doesn't make you uneasy that God would be so kind to you that you, you don't feel like you deserve it, maybe you've started to understand that if you feel too sinful and terrible to be perfectly acceptable to God, maybe you're understanding God's grace. And then you're called to, to worship, to tell your story differently, to tell your story as a resurrection story from death to life. And then you're called to go and be obedient for your own joy and to worship that God who saved you.